0: morning, New Life. Hey guys, good to see you. So we're in a series right now, New Life at 30, and we're talking about what God's been doing the last 30 years, and we're praying and thinking and dreaming, what will God do in the next 30 years? And so it's my personal belief that the best way forward is back. If you want to know how to move forward into the future that God wants, you should look back and see what has God blessed, what has Jesus done? What have the followers of Jesus done? What did the early church do? And whatever we're going to do, it's got to be rooted in that. And so we're going to see one of those things that it's going to require to see God move and to work powerfully through us. So let's pray before we jump into it. Let's pray together. Father, we want to hear from you. We don't want to just hear my words. God, we want to hear your voice through your spirit, through the pages of scripture, God, would you speak to us corporately and to us individually this morning? God, I pray for uh, the nations of the earth right now. God, we are roughly 10 years away from the 2000, uh, (laughs) 2,000 year anniversary of the birth of the church. We're celebrating 30 as new life, and yet we're coming up on 2,000 as your church. And so God, The task is not finished. Would you help empower your people to take the gospel to every people group, to see disciples of Jesus in every people, ethno-linguistic group of the earth, God. Uh, We want your salvation to to spread throughout northern Virginia. God, change families, change entire communities and schools. God, change our, our leaders Through the spread of the gospel, Lord, help us to make disciples and start new churches and raise up leaders for your glory, God, until Jesus returns. Lord, we love you and we are desperate for your power and your presence in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. While he was with them, he commanded them, this is Jesus, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait For the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus has lived a perfect life, died on the cross, God raised him from the dead, and he appears to his followers multiple times, hundreds of followers publicly. And on one of those occasions, after just having told them, Go, go make disciples of all the nations, go, 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 he says, Wait. Before you can go and do what I've called you to do, you've got to wait to have power to go do it. And so these followers of Jesus, they respond, and ultimately, a few weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the earth came together to Jerusalem to celebrate. And on that day, all of a sudden, when these followers of Jesus were gathered together, there was a sound like wind (sighs) that came blowing through the place and the people are hearing this loud noise like what's going on and tons of people come to see what's happening and all of a sudden there's fire that's over the top of everybody's head in the shape of what looks like a tongue. That's kind of weird right and so these tongues of fire are over people's heads and then these you know, pretty uneducated, common people, they began to speak in all these different languages that these Jewish people from all over knew, but they'd never studied. They didn't go to school and learn this stuff. And here they were proclaiming how great God was and testifying to his goodness. And people look around. I don't know what you would be thinking if you saw that this morning tongues of fire and people speaking languages they never had learned before. But some of the people on that day, they looked around and thought, huh, they must be drunk. And Peter, in the most airtight defense one could possibly give, said, These guys aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Which is so funny. But um, and so Peter begins to tell that crowd of people hey, what you're seeing right now, this weird supernatural thing that's happening, you should you should be on board with this. Because in in your own scriptures, in the Old Testament, in your scriptures, God said he was going to do this. That he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, men and women. And this is what's happening. It's the fulfillment of that. And so he preaches this message of the good news that they killed Jesus, and yet God raised him from the dead. God sent his own son to redeem and restore the Messiah, and they killed him, and yet God raised him from the dead. And so these people, they're cut to the heart, and they say, oh my gosh, what, what do we do? How should we respond? Peter said, repent, stop sinning, stop living this way that you have been, change your mind, change your life, and turn to God, and trust God. Be baptized, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so here's the result, here's what happened, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. The first day of the church, they went from 120 to 3,120 people, just like that. Now here's the question as I see this and I think in terms of, okay, great new life, we're 30 years old, God has used us, God has used you to make impact in people's lives, incredible. But how do we continue to step into that future that God wants in the next 30 years? When I'm thinking through that and I come back to the birth of the church... And I see God pour out a spirit and 3,000 people respond and come to saving faith in Jesus. The question that I think is what human actions contributed to the birth and growth of the church? What human actions? So in other words, if we said, how in the world did 3,000 people get saved just like that? We'd all say, God. Duh. Right? God did it. But here's the reality. There's God's part, there's our part, and then there's lost people's part. So think about it. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, Christian, his part was he had to stand up and preach the message about Jesus. That was his part. The lost people, they had to repent and be baptized. That was their part. But only God could pour out the Holy Spirit. Everybody has a part in this thing. So we can't just say, oh, well, only God will do it. It's all God. We don't have any part to play. No, we need to think, okay, what did they do then that we can learn from now to see God continue to move and work in our day, in our generation? And so we're going to open up to, here's the passage of scripture we're really looking at today. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and again, What are we going to discover that they did then that we could do now in partnership with God to see not just our church, but the church grow and expand and multiply and impact the world? So here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So check this out. In between Jesus saying, go, but hold on, wait. And there's 120 of them. And then 3,000 people are baptized and added to their number. 120 to 3,000. What was the human actions that they did in partnership with God? Verse 14. They continually, continually were united in prayer. Prayer. That's what it was. That's what they did. And think about this. It's men and women Followers of Jesus coming together in one place to pray collectively as a group. There was nothing special about them. So, it, you know, when we read these stories, we tend to, like, put people on a pedestal and think, Oh, Paul, oh, whoever, oh." And, like, I get that, but these are just people like you and me. They're just ordinary, regular, everyday people. You actually have more education than them. You actually have more money than they did. You might have more influence in your society than they did these were just ordinary people and yet they came together constantly it wasn't a one-time thing it wasn't like well okay jesus told us to wait for power Uh, let's just do like a you know a one-time prayer event no they were praying day after day after day constantly spending extended time in prayer and if I'm to read into it a little bit, which I usually try not to do, but I'm just trying to read imaginatively, I have a hard time believing that that 120 people that came together and they, they all sat in a room together and they said, All right, we need the power of God. Let's pray. All right, guys, that was good. We'll see you next week. Did <laughs> you see the point that I'm making? When they came together, how do you think they prayed? First of all, they were praying out loud as a group. Second of all, they were probably praying very fervently. This was not some, Oh, okay, I'm going to pray, dear God, help my team win the game, you know, and whatever, right? Like, they're pouring their hearts out to God. They're fervently praying. They're praying out loud, men and women, ordinary people. So, Here's the first thing. Here's the thing we need to know. It's the big idea if you're taking notes. And don't miss this. The power of God is unleashed by united prayer. Jesus said, wait until you have power. They continually were united in prayer. And then God poured out his Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people just like that were saved and brought into the church. And then, if you keep reading the book of Acts... They keep sharing the gospel. They keep going out into their spheres of influence. People push back. People get thrown in prison. What did the church do? They came together and prayed. They prayed that God would stretch out his hand and do the miraculous. And then, boom, the Holy Spirit's poured out. The Word of God spread. Then it's 5,000. Then it's a church in a new place. Then it's disciples are multiplying. Churches are multiplying. The Word of God's multiplying. And now there's millions and millions and millions of Jesus followers all over the planet. Why? Why? because there was a group of 120 of them in the beginning that constantly were united in prayer. And all along the way, Christians have been united in prayer. So we can't miss how important the power of prayer is. Now, I think that for us, as New Life Christian Church, we've had a great first 30 years. And I really mean that. I mean, we've praised God there's roughly over 300 new churches that have been started because of this church family, because of you, because of your faith, your prayer, your generosity, your actions. People have been sent out to do, do some of that work too. Um, so that, that is big, guys. Like you know, Most churches never even start one other church. So God is really using you in his plan to globally make disciples of Jesus Christ. But here's the reality, guys. The key that unlocks the door to the next 30 years of disciple-making, church planning, and world impact for Jesus Christ is united prayer. So if we think we're going to make disciples, start churches, and impact the world without being constantly united in prayer, we think too highly of ourselves. Because here's the reality. I don't know if you've thought, thought about this before. I have definitely experienced this, and I have thought about this. I am well aware of my uh, shortcomings in this. You, me, us, we can't make a single disciple on our own. You can't make a lost person believe the gospel. You can't change somebody's heart. You can't cause a family to be restored, a marriage to be saved, a community to be changed, a nation to be changed. You can't do any of that. I can't do any of that. And so, if Jesus has called us to do that stuff and we can't do that stuff, we must pray. Why? Because only God can. Only God can change people's hearts like this. And so, that's why we come together. We come to pray constantly as one because it now doesn't just rely on our abilities, we now tap into the most powerful, loving, all knowing being in the universe. Think about that. The God who spoke and the universe came into existence, we're asking Him to move. He wants to listen to your prayers and He wants to get involved in the world. The God who split the Red Sea and let His people go through on dry land, He's listening and responding. The God who caused the sun to stand still, He's listening and responding to your prayers to our prayers so we have to be united in prayer why because we can't do this stuff only God can uh, recently Tom Rainer who's a church consultant expert he was talking about the state of evangelical churches in America a lot of different ways you could under- understand what does that word evangelical churches mean I'm just talking about when I say it churches who believe we should convert people to Jesus Christ evangelical as in sharing the gospel the Evangelion the gospel And he said that as many as three out of every four evangelical churches is dying right now, depending on how you define dying. In other words, the church is not doing so hot in America right now. It's exploding with growth in the global south, but in America, not going so hot. And one of the reasons that he points to, he points to um, COVID and societal change, he points to all this stuff, but then he says one of the things that's happening is that churches are not strategizing and coordinating for united prayer efforts there's just not as much corporate prayer happening in churches this is really important if we're going to survive even we have to pray we need God Uh, and what's interesting is this idea of the power of God being unleashed through united prayer some of you might think well Preston that was just a one-time thing That was just the day of Pentecost. That was just a special thing then. And so hear me say, yes, there was some unique things that happened on the day of Pentecost in the story of redemption. I grant that 100%. But what I would also say is throughout the book of Acts, it continues to be the case that united prayer unleashes God's power. And throughout church history, it's the case. In fact, a historian, Dr. J. Edwin Orr, put it like this. No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. The reality is, every disciple-making movement, every church-planting movement, it is all preceded by a prayer movement. It's not a one-time thing. It's the pattern that God honors. And this is clearly seen even through the history of our own nation Uh, there's an event that happened in 1857 to 1858 in America called the Businessman's Awakening. And that just sounds so fake, doesn't it? The Businessman's Awakening. That sounds like a random church thing, but this is actually a real event that happened in in the history of our country. And I started thinking about this because it's 166 years ago, and that sounds like a long time ago. But my great uh, grandmother, who just passed in 2020 from COVID, Winona Shankel, or Nona, as we called her, Nona was born in 1924. So, I would imagine—I don't—I didn't fact check this, but I, I would imagine that her grandparents were alive when this happened, or they were definitely alive when people talked about the impact of whatever happened. Happened, right? So, like, we think this is way, way, way back then. This really isn't that long ago. So, here's here's the story. 1857 new york city a guy named jeremiah lanfear he was a former businessman and he was converted to christ and he wanted to honor god and so he actually became he decided he was going to become a vocational minister now i would say this many of you you really want to make an impact for jesus christ never get into pastoral ministry never join the work of the church and i'm serious when i say this because there are so many more people that you will impact that i never will my job is to equip you to go impact the people. So if you want to do that, you feel like God's going to do that, maybe you should work at a church. But if you want to go impact people, then stay where the people are. He didn't do that, though. This guy, he was called by God to be an evangelist for a church. And so his role for this church in New York City was to get the gospel to surrounding neighborhoods. And so after months of this not working, go figure, um, for no fruit, he decided instead of going out and trying to spread the gospel, I'm going to host a prayer meeting. So he hosted his first prayer meeting, this 48-year-old New Yorker, former uh, businessman, on September 23rd, 1857. So he passed out hundreds of flyers, spread the word to as many people as possible. And the day came, and he sat down to pray, and in the first 30 minutes, one person showed up. Sound familiar? Yes. That's how prayer meetings typically go, right? By the end of the 60 minutes, six people had come. And six people were praying and crying out for God to save the lost and to wake up the church. Well, uh, that grew. There's about 16 people week two, then week three, there's about 40 people, then about a month in, there's about a hundred people. And there was so much uh, just, you know, so much enthusiasm about what God was doing through this prayer meeting that it soon became not just a weekly noon-to-one prayer meeting that businessmen went to, it became a daily prayer meeting. They said, we're going to pray every single day. And it wasn't just this one prayer meeting that Jeremiah led. Now there became multiple prayer meetings that were meeting every day. What happened, too, that's really fascinating is that at the same time, like a month into this prayer meeting, God used in his providence an economic collapse to ramp up the intensity so they went from a hundred or so people a couple prayer meetings 30,000 new yorkers lost their jobs the prayer meetings jumped up to five to ten thousand people in new york city praying daily this is just ordinary people this isn't pastors this is ordinary christians during their lunch break spending 10 minutes in prayer spending 20 minutes in prayer 30 minutes in prayer And it began to grow and spread, and suddenly, many hundreds of people are being converted and coming to faith. Uh, People are being transformed, and it's spreading to other cities all across the U.S. Listen to this quote from someone of the day. The great waves of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over this nation, is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate that in cars and steamboats, remember when we used to ride those? Steamboats and banks and markets everywhere through the interior. This matter is an absorbing topic. Churches are crowded, schoolhouses are turned into chapels, converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. In this city, we have beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. We have seen in a business quarter of the city in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, and working men to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for a simple and solemn worship. It is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are putting themselves at this time in a simple and serious way the greatest question that can ever come before the human mind. And it was this, what shall we do to be saved from sin? This prayer movement that turned into a disciple-making movement of thousands and thousands and thousands being saved, it actually resulted in over a million people within less than a two-year period coming to saving faith in Jesus. There was only 30 million people living in the United States at the time. That means 3% of the U.S. population was converted just like that. It spread to Europe. Over a million more people across Europe. Have you ever heard of revival in Belfast? That that was this. It spread. England, Wales, Scotland, transformation. There was actually, there were judges... Who remarked that they didn't have anything to do because there weren't any court cases. Think about that. So listen, I what did not happen is that Christians had a worship service. Does that make sense? That's great. That really is. That is an awesome thing to happen. What happened is lost people got saved. Christians actually began to live holy lives, and lost people lived different lives, so much so that societal transformation happened. That's what happened. Imagine today, if God could do it then, why can't he do it now? Imagine. If, if he just did the same that he did, let's say God's not an overachiever. He just did the same that he did last time, in our day, in two years. If 3% of our population today became Christians, 30 million people would become Christians. 30 million. Can you imagine the impact? Like, what would that do? What would that do in our society, in our culture, if 30 million more people came to saving faith in Jesus? God can do it. In our day, in our time, we're ordinary people just like them, and it's the same world-changing God. Why could he not do it now? A couple of thoughts are, are coming to my mind, but <laughs> for the sake of just driving it to action, here's, here's what we've got to do. Again, I, don't, I do not want to preach or teach just to like talk about some ideas. I want us to actually hear and obey God. So here's what I believe God's inviting us into for the next 30 years as a church. We've got to commit to united prayer. We just got to make the decision. Do we really believe that we can do nothing and that God can do anything? And that prayer is the way to tap into the power of God. Do we believe God will unleash his presence and his power in a supernatural way, in an unusual way, if we humble ourselves and seek his face and cry out to him and will we commit to it so for example just thinking about some practical things so we currently what we've been trying to do is a monthly night of prayer Chris Johnson's been leading that Uh, with football I haven't been a part of it because we have our football bible study going on but when I went to it before I know that we had about anywhere from six to ten people and I'm really thankful that we had six to ten people I really I left every time just feeling fired up and that I had met with God. and it was really encouraging to me. But I think about six to ten people, you know, What would it take to see 50? What would it take to see a hundred of us? What's keeping us from getting to that level of continually being united in prayer? And I think some of it's practical. I think some of it's we live busy lives and we live like 20 minutes apart from each other. And so it's a little bit different than we all work downtown in New York City and we can walk on our lunch break to meet at one place. You know what I'm saying? Um, So to be honest, I don't know what the next step is for us to really commit to united prayer. I'm open to please someone after first service came and gave me a great idea. They said, Preston, what if we all set our alarm for 1.14, because of Acts chapter 1.14, at 1.14 p.m., and every day that alarm goes off, and we all commit, we're going to stop and pray right then, even if it's just for 30 seconds. Could be five minutes, could be an hour, whatever you want to do, right? Someone just gave me that idea. I didn't come up with that. Maybe you have an idea that God will put on your heart. Whatever the idea is, You have to commit time. I have to commit time to gather with other believers. It doesn't matter if it's through Zoom. Maybe we do a Zoom, 12 to 1 Zoom prayer meeting. Great. Maybe you just meet with Christians in your workplace and you say, Hey, guys, I know that some of y'all are Christians and go to church. God's really put it on my heart. I'm going to start a prayer group. And just come in for five ten minutes on lunch break. And I'd love to have you pray with me. Maybe you do that with, with people where you work. Um, maybe it's just, hey, as a family, we are going to wake up Monday morning, every Monday morning. And we're going to have a family prayer time. It could be five minutes before breakfast or after breakfast to make sure people aren't as cranky. Whatever it is. But just have a time of family prayer. Um, we could start prayer walking our communities. We, I mean, there's so many ideas but whatever it looks like we have to come together we have to come together and humble ourselves and be united as one and cry out to god god would you save lost people god would you wake up the church make us holy help us to live transformed lives help us to honor you whatever that looks like i know <laughs> i'll say it like this before first service Tony Garcia came up to me, and she said, Preston, we were talking together. I got to pray with her, and then after, she said, Preston, uh, since you and Meg have been here, I'm so thankful. I feel the spark inside of me to do more. I want to do more. And I told her I really appreciate her saying that, and one of the things that burdens me is that and, and to a fault sometimes. I know too much. <laughs> I know too much about the Bible, and I know too much about church history, and I know too much about what leaders around the world are doing who have a big impact for God. And I know where I'm at, and I know where they're at. And so I have a burden that I will not settle with where I'm at. That there are levels that I know nothing about that I want to get to. And it's a process, right? But I encounter people sometimes when they hear a message like this, they might think, well, Preston, we're, what do you mean? We're continually united in prayer as a church. We pray all the time as a church. And none of you guys, there's probably more first service people, but, um, <laughs> but you know, if you're, if you're thinking that at all, I just, I, I just want you to be real with yourself. Are we really continually united in prayer? Are we fervently crying out to God, nonstop, for God to save people and change people and revive the church and awaken our nation? Now, some of you, when you hear that, you might be thinking, well, Preston, you keep mentioning this fervent thing, and you get passionate about it, and that's just too over the top, and that's just not me. And I'm going to be honest. I hear what you're saying, and there can be a point that you go too far. You have the wrong motives. You go about it the wrong way. And yes, you can, you can be doing too much, okay? I, I'm on the same track with you there. But here's what I also want to make sure we all are on the same page about. You can be too cold and indifferent. And maybe you should be more concerned about being too cold and indifferent than too hot and over the top. Maybe you can know yourself a little bit. Because I know myself, I know which one I'm prone to do. But what I'm trying to say is, where we're at, we have not arrived. Whatever stories we had to tell of the past 30 years, there's new stories that need to be told in the next 30 years. I met with a, a leader a couple, of, I think it was three years ago now, his name is Shadonke Johnson. He just won the William Wilberforce Award, William Wilberforce Christian helped stop the slave trade, so kind of a big deal. Um, so <laughs> Shadonke lives in Sierra Leone, and he is a disciple maker. He's a church planter. And in the past, I, I believe it's the past 10 years, um, they've seen roughly a million people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they've seen roughly, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers. Let's just say it's 20,000 churches planted. It's something crazy. It's, it's like video game statistics if you're, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. So I got to meet with him and do this training, and as he's talking about how they make disciples and plant churches, it's really simple. It's just, it's not complicated. There's no buildings, there's no pastors, staff, salaries. It's just normal, ordinary people going into villages, looking for spiritually open people, having a Bible study with them. Boom, help them become a simple church. Raise up some leaders, boom, go to the next one, right? And so I'm thinking strategically. That's just kind of how God's wired me is to think strategically and I'm thinking, oh, the secret is his different steps he takes. It's just a matter of, Preston, you're doing this, this, and this. You get this outcome. You should do this, this, and this. And then you could get this outcome, right? But as I listened to him more, what I noticed is that it wasn't just strategy, human strategy, although it was. It was, it was really the power of God. And what made me what makes me say that is he began to tell me, Preston, what we do is the very first thing we do is we focus on prayer and fasting. And he said Jesus prayed constantly. He prayed early in the morning, wake up by himself and pray. He prayed on the cross as he was being crucified. He prayed before he went to the cross, told his disciples keep watch. His disciples were so impressed by his prayer that they asked him, "Hey, teach us how to pray." They didn't say teach us how to preach a sermon. They said teach us how to pray. Right? So Jesus prayed. He's Constantly listening and talking with the Father, right? And so he says, so here's what we do. In our movement, we have hundreds of thousands of people who pray and fast the last three days of the year, who pray and fast for 21 days starting in mid-January, who pray and fast the first three days of every month, and who pray and fast every Wednesday. So when I say that I'm not content with where I'm at in my relationship with God and I'm not content in our commitment to united prayer, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, wait a minute, the people who have seen the miraculous are people who are totally dependent on God. And it's expressed in a commitment to united prayer. So that's who I want to be. So here's the question for you. you got to think about this personally. we got to think about this corporately. What will we do to commit to United Prayer? Seriously, if you're taking notes right now, this is the part where you could say, I will, and then you just fill in that blank. Maybe think about it personally. I will do this. Think about it with your family. We will do this. And start small. Just take a baby step. What's that first little thing you can do to increase your prayer? Now, I know you guys who've been here for, you know, the whole time I've been here and longer, you guys are really going to be surprised by this, but we're now going to pray. We're actually going to do this, right? You saw that coming, didn't you? Um, So let me make a disclaimer really quick. Okay, if you're new, no pressure, okay? You don't have to pray with a group of people. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to do anything. Just thank you for being here. Um, If you are a Christian again, I kind of want to push you a little bit. I want to push you because, think about it, again, I come back to this. This, Meg asked me last night, she said, Preston, what are you going to do for people who don't feel comfortable praying out loud? And I said, well, and I just said what I was going to say. And I said, but hold on, wait a minute, Meg. I said, wait a minute. And I come back to the, so you're telling me that people in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, they sat in a room together and they did this? All right, good prayer time, guys. Let's get out of here. You really think they just sat silently and prayed in their mind? You, no, of course not. Thank you, Joyce. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. I can almost guarantee you they were probably laying prostrate on the floor, that their hands were raised, that they were crying out to God with passion and fervor. So I began to think, wait a minute, what if one of the barriers to becoming the kind of people who see God break through is we just got to become more comfortable praying around each other? You can't do Acts 1 until you pray with other believers. You can't have a business in this prayer revival if all you do is pray in the quietness of your own mind. Okay, maybe you could, but it's, it's just less likely to happen. You know what I'm saying? There's something powerful when you're with believers and you hear them open their heart up. And here's my final thing I'll say before we get in groups and do it. Guys, there's no perfect formula. You don't have to pray like a preacher. You don't have to pray like a writer. You don't have to start with dear God or a father God. However you do, it doesn't matter. You're just talking to God. It doesn't matter how you end it. You can say in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You can say amen. Can, whatever. We get so wrapped up in, oh, do I say the right thing? And how did God just loves you. He's your father. And he delights in his children just talking to him, just listening to him, just being honest. It's simple, it, it doesn't have to be anything special. It's just coming from your heart. So, with that in mind, let's all stand up. Stand up, stand up. Whether you pray by yourself, whether you get a group of people, I'd say keep the group small if you want to get a group, but get a group, get some chairs together if you want. You can sit down, start to pray, and then I'll tell us when we're going to move on. Ready? Go.